0: Welcome to Talking Teaching.
1: The main work that we're doing is working out how you get trust, comparability and utility into assessments that are essentially based on teacher observation and other expert observation and judgment of a student's performance that they've developed over a longish period of time.
0: I'm Genevieve Costigan and on this episode of Talking Teaching, we're talking about the future of school assessment in Australia. Professor Jim Watterston, Dean of the Melbourne Graduate School of Education, discusses a new research project at the University of Melbourne that brings together schools and researchers to trial new ways of assessing school students. Jim speaks to Professor Sandra Milligan of the Assessment Research Centre, who argues that we need to embrace broader conceptions of success that traditional assessments, such as the VCE, HSC, NAPLAN and the ATAR only capture part of the capabilities and skills that students need for success in our complex world. Originally a teacher of science and mathematics, Sandra is also a former director of curriculum for a state education department and has held senior roles in a range of national and international educational organisations. Jim also speaks to Rachel Byrne, the principal of the Hunter Sports High School in Newcastle, New South Wales. Rachel's school is participating in the new metrics research project. Over to you, Jim.
2: Well, thanks for joining us today, Sandra. It's great to have you here. You're doing a lot of great things in the Assessment Research Centre at uh, the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. But the one I was really interested in finding a little bit more about today was your conception of new metrics for learning. Can you tell me a bit about that? Well,
1: thanks for having me, Jim. It's great to be here. New metrics, actually, the idea for it came from schools that we work with, partner schools. And, you know, every time we spoke to a parent from those schools or a principal and said, what's your school doing? They'd say, you know, we want our kids to be well-rounded citizens. We want them to be confident, capable, creative people who contribute to their community and to their society. We want them to thrive in school and out of it. And then they'd say, but, you know, all the assessment we do, if you think of things like NAPLAN, VCE, ATAR, all of those kinds of things, they don't get at those things. They get at only one part of the school's, an important part, but only one part of a school's mission, and that is academic development in the disciplines and a couple of the basics like literacy and numeracy, whereas the schools had much broader and wider ambitions for what success is, we're now working with uh, 36 schools in the new metrics project, and a further 50 outside the project, where the schools have defined learning ambitions that go beyond the core, and we're helping them get the metrics right, the assessments. How they tell if they're going well how they report to kids whether they're going well and how they report to their communities about whether they're going well with this broader conception of success
2: so this broader conception of success then focuses uh, primarily but or, or, or sort of in, in a large part on general capabilities and being able to um, measure the um, achievement rate i guess within those general capabilities so can you tell me about how how that works and and which capabilities because you know there's lots of different general capabilities depending on the documentation that you read so so just give us a bit more of an idea about um about what this looks like
1: If you start with the idea of broad definition of success you don't want to wander off into things that are beyond the remit of a school and the the discipline that we use is the curriculum because that's what the community has said we should be doing now if you look in the Australian curriculum it's got the general capabilities Um, some schools are working with a customized list of those general capabilities but by and large they're all getting at the curricula are all getting at those things so we focus on that because it's the legitimate official task of schools to focus on those but they're not assessed so that's things like uh Critical and creative thinking, which we call quality thinking, communication, collaboration, ethical behaviour, citizenship, all of those things that are in the curriculum. What we do is work with schools to come up with um, an assessment design, that is how they can tackle the task of assessment in their school. There needs to be close alignment between these new learning ambitions, the, the learning design that the school has in place to develop them, and that's the pedagogy, the curriculum structure, the activities that the kids do, that has to be aligned with the assessment approach because, you know, if you are teaching VCE kids in classes to pass the VCE examinations, you will not be able to assess learner agency, collaboration, all of those kinds of things, because the learning design is not set up to develop them. So we want alignment between the learning design, the assessment design, the new learning ambitions, and then essentially the reporting and credentialing that schools provide for their
2: kids. What about schools that are um, addressing creative and critical thinking? Um, How do I know that um, a high performance in one school is equal to a high performance in another school, exactly like we try and uh, moderate, um, you know, assessment in terms of the, the VCE and and, and other um, state-based um, sort of uh, evaluation. So, how do we make sure that we've got some kind of comparability across all schools?
1: So, standardisation of assessment and assessment tasks has been the principal method over the last fifty years. Of ensuring comparability, and I'm—I think that's been a good thing, because it—it it provides for equity, it can—it um, is fair, um, it's all of those things. But now, it's not good enough, because for these newer ambitions, like to become a creative, confident learner in your own context, you cannot ensure comparability through standardized assessments. So the main work that we're doing is working out how you get trust, comparability and utility into assessments that are essentially based on teacher observation and other expert observation and judgment of a student's performance that they've developed over a longish period of time um this this, of course, requires the systems to get into gear a bit because they're going to have to do the work to provide the standards that schools can reference.
2: Uh, I'm wondering how we actually then provide, and you mentioned this earlier, a, a curriculum for teachers to focus on creative and critical thinking and those so that there is actually some explicit teaching around that so that so that we've got something to measure.
1: The way we're tackling it at the moment, and I have to tell you, Jim, this is a work in progress. It's not called a research project for nothing. (laughs) We're learning from schools. I hope that the schools are learning from us, and we've got a terrific partnership here. So we're we're currently, I mean, what what we found, we've got some terrific assessment um, instruments, and what we originally found was you can take the assessment instruments into schools and you can ask teachers to assess kids, but, but teachers say, I don't don't know. I haven't had an opportunity to observe this child in a situation where you could tell whether they were able to do it or not. So we're now working with schools to work out what an evidence base would look like. Because I think once you say to teachers, this is the sort of evidence you need, then the pedagogy will follow. It's not a trivial question. That question you asked is really central to the whole thing.
2: So where does the ATAR fit with the general capabilities there?
1: Well, again, I think that depends on the school. We have some schools that have abandoned the ATAR and said, okay, we're not going to go there. We're going to build our curriculum and our learning ambitions um, around a different way of organising learning. That does not mean that they've walked away from those standards, but it means that Um, breaking knowledge up into subject areas where a student does 10 subject clumps um, over the two years is not the way they've chosen. They've gone for project-based or inquiry-based learning designs. They have the same learning ambitions, but they get them a different way. Other schools are taking what I call a supplementary approach So they're sticking with the uh, VCE or HSC or whatever it is, or IB, but they're saying as well as that, we want to assess and recognise broader things so that their tendency is to have have all the existing um, architecture hopefully slimmed down a bit, but they also have learner profiles, which profile student abilities in a range of other things. So it's... um, you know, so that they, they have the same thing, but they supplement it with something else. I think that's likely to be the more common approach because it's less radical, really. Um, so the question is, how do we build up that supplementary reporting and assessment? And most of the education systems now are seriously considering that, particularly... Um, out of their general capability work, but also, more importantly, the Shergold report of 2019, which said we've got to get these important learning outcomes captured and reported. And universities and employers, in general, are very positive about that. And the schools that have generated such profiles get a lot of rave reviews from their communities.
2: What about teachers in, in this equation? Um, Who is going to do this additional assessment um, and what requirements will there be for teachers to add to their workload, I guess?
1: This is a question that is uppermost in the mind of a lot of the school leadership groups that we work with because they don't want to kill their teachers. Um, and there's a real potential for that if, you, if we just go madly towards assessing a whole pile of extra things it it just could be terrible so the the potential there is to get it badly wrong we take leadership on this sort of question from our school partners and what my observation is the approaches they take are things like this they make sure that the teachers actually get it and You know, once you try to do that, teachers are very supportive of this approach. It it resonates with their conception of what schools should do. So there's generally a willingness in most school staff. The, The next thing they do is take it really slowly So that you know, they don't say, "Oh, well, this year we're going to implement a whole new assessment regime and um, or teaching regime, and off we go." So most of these schools have been working for at least three or four years. The next thing they're doing is trying to change their teaching approach so that you can do the assessments at the same time. One of our schools is working on how can you change the teaching so that the um, assessments you make for HSC can be done at the same time as these sorts of assessments. So um, what that requires is a change to the approach in teaching. And lastly, you know, you don't have to assess the living daylights out of kids um, to get a good, reliable, valid score. So I I would like to see light touch assessment more and more um, in all areas. So that we make more room for what really counts, which is the good teaching.
2: So how do we get the trust from employers and parents and the community in general around the assessment of these skills, whether they're soft or or whether they're you know of a high level of importance? How, how do we make sure that then they've got enough trust to be able to take that assessment as being one of the one of the sort of criteria, I suppose, for a job?
1: This is where the science comes into it, Jim, because I think um, what we're building is what we call assessment frameworks that establish what uh, students look like when they're novices in the area, what they look like when they're developing, what they look like when they're really good at it, and building assessment frameworks around that so that you can easily characterise for any student Where at what level they are at, and that level characterization of the level is done in such a way that you can see it, that teachers can see it, that students can see it, that parents can see it, and that employers can see it in the behaviors that are associated with it. Then if you if you add that with portfolios, I think you get um, in a way a greater degree of trust. One of the reasons why we trust the ATAR and the VCE is because they're warranted by someone who is trusted, every state has one of these warranting agencies. And I think this will be no different. There needs to be a warrant attached to a school's assessment.
2: So getting this um, essential infrastructure where we can get comparability and 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 the and the warranting and the trust, as you say. Um, is there any chance then we would turn general capabilities into a mini uh a, a, like a weapon that schools can use to prove that they're a better school than the school down the road? I
1: definitely do not want uh, s- schools and communities that are very highly resourced, um, as as is the case in the US, that it really matters what school you went to. That's we, we can't have that in Australia, which is why I'm passionate about the schools that we work with, and they're passionate about it too, making sure that the work, work we're doing is going to work for the system as a whole because we want every kid, no matter where they are, not to be disadvantaged because of who they are or where they are.
2: Okay, well, thank you for today. Um, Like I said, it's just the beginning of the conversation and it's one that we need to have. So um, I really congratulate you and your team on the work. It's fantastic. And we look forward to um, seeing where it um, moves forward to. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Sandra and Jim. And now we'll hear from Principal Rachel Byrne about how these new assessments actually work on the ground in a school, in this case, at the Hunter Sports High School in New South Wales.
2: All right. Welcome, Rachel. Um, It's really pleasing to have you here. and, And thanks for making time. We really wanted to talk about Um, your school Hunter Sports High School and and the thinking that you've been doing along with your staff around assessment in general and so can you sort of start us us off from where you sort of picked this up?
3: Yeah look uh, we've been on a a journey I guess of innovation and and doing things a little bit differently when it comes to education with uh, the initial uh, big picture design of learning uh, who approached the previous principal here Louise Gallagher And the the real impetus for us to look at doing things differently in learning came from the disengagement we saw in students now in my school, I have a range of students who are here for selective sport programs and also students that come from very low socioeconomic status backgrounds. So we have a huge range and diversity of students. Um, but the biggest driving factor for, for both Louise and I um, was the, the engagement level of our students that you can walk into a classroom and see some of the most intelligent kids sitting at the back of the room, very bored, not interested, and disengaged in their learning, and it certainly got both Louise and I was thinking as as to, to doing things better. And then Did White, the CEO of Big Picture, came and spoke to principals up in the Hunter, and that's where that the seed was kind of was, was sort of started. And and from there we grew from from having a, a one year aid advisory, a couple of classes, to now having Big Picture advisories right through to year twelve. And it was fundamentally about how we can get passion back into learning for, for all of our kids, that students could feel engaged in their learning. And and what we have just seen snowball is just how powerful that particular design of learning is and is and still continues to be with the connections and the relationships and the, and the skills that have been de- developed in that design of learning. Now, what that led to us, though, is that when we first launched um, big picture design, uh, we probably made a promise that I'm not sure we should have made at that time was that we would be able to get them into university without sitting at HSC. And I think when Big White and I presented uh, to a number of our big picture students was, you don't have to sit an HSE exam, we'll get you into a university pathway or a pathway of your choice. That that really inspired us to make sure that we could come through and follow through with that. Very fortunate up here to have John Fischetti, the Dean of Education at the University of Newcastle. who became a partner very, very early on. who saw the value in this design of learning and we were able to then start the partnership as to how we could successfully get those students through evidence-based, through exhibitions, through portfolio, to actually get into university.
2: Fantastic. And so from there then you've moved into the new metrics program with Sandra. Can you tell us about the continuity from the big picture learning design through to the new metrics now?
3: as more schools came on board with big picture there needed to be some consistency some validity to the work that we're doing so three years ago big picture looked at ways that we could come up with a learner credential to identify and to recognize the achievements of all students in big picture and that's when the connection happened with sandra the connection happened with the university of melbourne in order to support big picture and our schools and academies to actually design a learning credential which obviously means that there needed to be assessments Um, And new frameworks designed in order to develop that learning credential. So Sandra was, has been on that pathway. And and we're just finishing up with the big picture. The big picture learning credential was actually launched um, a a few months ago, which is really exciting. And so it was a natural progression into the new metrics, which is a much broader range of schools, broader range of students. Um, The big picture was obviously just a a smaller cohort of schools and, and high schools that are involved to be a part of new metrics, to be part of a national um, pilot project that involves primary schools, high schools, public and private, has just made the discussion so much deeper as how we can actually do better for our students, how we can deepen learning and actually make sure we're preparing students who are going to be agile, flexible and successful in a very complex world.
2: Can you tell us specifically from your school's perspective and your staff and students, what exactly is this work and, and what will it look like when when you get to the end of it?
3: So with with us and and our involvement in the New Metrics project, I actually have seven staff that I've been able to support um, to be involved in the the wonderful professional learning that we're actually getting through this New Metrics pilot project. We've actually taken on board two learning ambitions. We've actually now decided as a school um, that we're looking at quality thinking and learner agency as the, the, the two learning ambitions that we're going to pilot. And I'm, I'm really excited. This, this next term for us is where it really starts to get our hands dirty and what this looks like.
2: If I take the quality thinking and learner agency, which are your two learning ambitions, what are you doing with those two um, competencies? Are, are you trying to measure them to make sure that it's in place in the school or are you measuring them so that those students can be able to claim that competency when they go out into the workforce or, or um, in terms of their own development?
3: Yeah, for us, new metrics has come along at a great time as a part of our school plan. And what we've been wanting to do is actually uh, provide students with credentials around uh, those general capabilities, employability skills. And I think it's about defining the language. Um, What language were we going to use learner ambitions is obviously now the journey and the pathway we're going. So we have been wanting to recognise um, those general capabilities in the students for a long time and just weren't sure how and how we can make them valid and reliable. We've had a number of network meetings with local businesses and community organisations who really value... Um, those general capabilities more so than 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 an HSC. And and I know in my business community, they certainly will be looking to find those students that that have quality thinking, um, that are able to communicate um, that learner agency. So I know we've had buy-in from my community for for a while around this. So new metrics will formalise this and actually with the University of Melbourne support, actually give it recognition.
2: So how can um, employers and people in the community trust the quality of your assessment of quality thinking and learner agency. Um, how do they know that because you've said that uh, a particular student um, is a quality thinker, how do they know what that's going to translate into into the workforce?
3: Oh, look, it's a really good question, Jim. And I think I actually successfully transition students from my big picture academy into the university um, without having to sit in HSE via evidence and via portfolio. Certainly showed me the fact that when students can demonstrate and we can show evidence of those skills and capabilities, that there is certainly buy-in from those larger bodies, including parents, universities, um, to go. Well, actually, no, this this looks really interesting work. But I think the formality of it, like that's the work that we're working on now in new metrics is how do we get the trust and the validity in these assessment frameworks? And I think the next phase, and, and one of the phases that we are currently in, with the big picture learning credential is actually the the validation part of it, and and that's going to be crucial to ensure that the validity is there um, and that the evidence really correlates to what uh, the actual um, element in the particular learning ambition is suggesting.
2: So we're talking about HSC exams and and accreditation. So are we talking about the general capabilities as additional or instead of?
3: When we talk about the new metrics program and, and one of the stages... Of the um, the learning cascade is new settlements and the new settlements phase is about bringing parents on board universities on board I mean even the likes of the Department of Education here in New South Wales how do we bring them on board Um, and I think I think we need to work and compromise that we work together that um, the HSE and these learning ambitions do need to work hand in hand and I'd love to see Um, ACARA and the changing of of syllabus documents to have these kind of learning ambitions mandated that it it is something that we should be teaching our kids Uh, perhaps in a few years time if those new settlements and parents and universities and departments of education support the work we're doing I I think learning ambitions can certainly stand on their own.
2: So one of the big issues I feel and both from my career and watching it now later, later in my career is sustainability of practice within school so if, if you move on to another school um, in the next couple of years, will, will this work continue within your school, do you think?
3: Oh, there's absolutely no doubt that, that it continues. Uh, we, we've worked on being innovative and we've got a number of innovative programs right across the whole school. My staff are very much bought in and, and, and believe that, yes, that we do need to do things better and differently. Um, I, I have a very strong executive team who are all very supportive of the work that we're doing. But they've also seen it in action, Jim. Like they've seen the success we've been able to generate through Big Picture and the success stories of, of not only my academically capable students, but the disengaged Aboriginal students have also successfully transitioned into TAFE or work. And those kind of stories that just continue to roll out around um, providing kids more choice in their learning and providing opportunities for them to be, I guess, diving into their own passions and to a lot more personalised learning.
2: Um, and I've done a bit of research and so have lots of other academics and teachers across systems during the pandemic. And we know that teachers have innovated and done amazing work to continue teaching and learning during the pandemic um, and certainly in times of lockdown. In terms of this innovation that you're working on in your school, is is that adding to workloads for teachers and in some ways burdening them even more or is it or is it some way of showing a way through the pandemic that gives them sort of um incentive to continue on on work that really matters to those uh, young people
3: look i think the pandemic has has helped in the sense that we've been given a little bit of a mandate to take the foot off the pedal um, to continue to engage with students in regards to in new south wales um not having to to teach all outcomes and and reporting on all outcomes we've been that's kind of been removed so it really has given us a flexibility to make sure that we are engaging students to ensure all students are at the level that we that we need them or would like them to be that but I think when there's real purpose and there's real passion to the work that you're doing like there's real belief in this work the added workload yes is there but I think we know that it's a really good purpose.
2: So would you encourage other schools to go down this path and to think about a diversity of assessment, a diversity of pedagogy to to look at the things that matter?
3: Oh, 100%. I think the buy-in is there. I, I, I just think that we need to put the frameworks and structures in place and the yes, go for it mentality uh, to school, to school leaders, um, for them to actually pick up that ball and start running with it.
2: Thanks, Rachel, for your time. It's been enlightening for me, but I, I guess it's reinforced what I already know, that there's no such thing as a great school without A really great principle and I can feel that enthusiasm just in the conversation today and and knowledge of your work so um, your leadership on this is brilliant and uh, and thanks for the time and we look forward to continuing the conversation.
3: Oh it's been an absolute pleasure Jim, thank you very much for your time I look forward to working more closely with you, thank you.
0: Thanks Jim, Sandra and Rachel. It's great to hear about this work and the opportunities it presents for broadening our understanding of how we recognise student success. For more information about the new Metrics Programme or any of our other episodes, please go to www.education.unimelb.edu.au forward slash talking-teaching. Talking Teaching Teaching is produced by Zane Kingy and myself. Thanks for listening today and see you next time.